Hey there, and welcome back to Take One, the podcast that brings you just one righteous page of Talmud each day. And on today's page, Kiddushin 58, we find a big question about virtue. Have a listen. With regard to the possibility of deriving benefit from money received in exchange for items from which benefit is forbidden, the Gemara asks, from where do we derive that this is permitted? The Gemara answers, it is from the fact that the merciful one reveals in the Torah with regard to an object of idol worship, and you shall be banned like it, Deuteronomy 7.26, which teaches that anything that you cause to come from it, i.e. in exchange for it, it can be understood by inference with regard to all the other prohibitions of the Torah, monies received for items from which benefit is forbidden are permitted. What a curious thought. Might we benefit financially from items that are really, really, really terrible? In other words, what happens if we take good money and put it to good use that came from, shall we say, questionable sources? It is a question so monumental, so of the moment that I am calling calling on the heavy guns today. I'm, I'm going to the top of the big leagues to welcome back to the show my dear friend, Rabbi, Dr. Ari Lamb, hello. We're back, baby. I'm so excited to be here. So tell me, this, this, this is a question for the age, right? Can we benefit from things that are totally forbidden? Can we take those uh, bad idols, melt them, and use the gold uh, and silver or whatever it is to, uh, to better purposes? So, you know, in classic rabbinic literature, the if you're trying to explain what a case is, so you know, if if there are let's say multiple parties to a to a transaction, rabbinic literature will use generic names, Reuven and Shimon, two the first two of the of the twelve tribes of Israel. So, in a contemporary context, maybe we'll we'll go with Joey and Chandler, right? Joey owns uh, <laughs> Joey owns uh, uh, an idol. And sells it to Chandler, and Chandler pays the money for it. So is Joey allowed to use that money? Why or why not? Well, idols are not only prohibited to bow down to, you're actually not allowed to derive any benefit from them at all. So let's say now you have money that you've gotten in exchange for having sold that idol. Is Joey allowed to use that money? And the answer that the Talmud gives is no. And moreover, that would also be true if the thing that you sold was produce that you were supposed to uh, leave during the seventh year, the sabbatical year. You're supposed to leave your fields fallow and you know not collect the produce that you grow. It's supposed to be available for all to take. So let's say you sold that produce of the seventh year and you now derive benefit from it through this money. Are you allowed to use that money? Is Joey allowed to use that money? And the answer again is no. However, what the Talmud tells us is that those are the only two cases where the answer is no. Normally, other things that you're not allowed to derive benefit from, like meat cooked with milk or a bull that gored somebody else under circumstances in which it would have to be killed, and it's called a shorhaniskal, all these, these cases of things where the Torah tells us we're not allowed to derive benefit from them, in all of those cases, if Joey sold them to Chandler— Joey's allowed to use that money that he got for whatever he wants. The only two exceptions are idolatry and the produce of the seventh year. And the question is, I think the key question is, why the difference? And to me, 
I think in order to understand the difference, you got to back up and just take a look at like a, there's like a classic Seinfeld episode that I'd use to illustrate the case. Um, and as a, to by the way, to, to those, to those keeping track at home, the number of sitcoms Rabbi Lamb has now referenced <laughs> is two. Let's see if you can make it to five by the end of this talk. As a great teacher of mine once said in a different context, but uh, uh, if you can't understand Seinfeld, how could you possibly think that you're going to understand the Talmud? Um, so there's a great episode near like the end of, of the Seinfeld run, one of the later seasons called Bizarro Jerry. And it's where Elaine finds all of these characters that are exactly like everybody in her life, Jerry, George, Kramer, except they're complete opposites. And she starts hanging out with them. And she sees that unlike Jerry, George and Kramer, they're well adjusted and they're nice and they do things for each other and they're great. And they treat her with respect and they don't get bogged down in, in overanalyzing every single interaction with every other person. And there's a certain point where she decides, you know what, maybe I just want to start hanging out with these people instead and kind of like leave the Seinfeld world. And <laughs> it all culminates in this confrontation that she has with Jerry in his apartment where Jerry's trying to get her bogged down and complaining about something like a bank teller did or whatever it is. And she just snaps and she goes, it's like one of my favorite Seinfeld lines ever. She goes, I can't spend the rest of my life coming into this stinking apartment every 10 minutes to pour over the excruciating minutia of every single daily event. And then she storms out and just leaves Jerry standing there. Jerry goes nuts and he goes, the whole system is breaking down. (laughs) (laughs) And the reason it's such an amazing and important moment in the show is because it's this moment where Elaine, it's really the only moment in the show other than the narrative arc where like George and Jerry are like selling a show about nothing to NBC. But it's really one of the very few moments in the show where Elaine may as well have just looked straight into camera and said that to the audience, because that's what the show is about. Like it's the core value of Seinfeld is pouring over the excruciating minutia of every single daily event. And she's rejecting the core value, the core premise. And that's when Jerry says the whole system's breaking down. So to return to things that are what the rabbis would call things that you're not allowed to derive benefit from, can you derive benefit from the money you get from selling those things? So normally the answer is yes, but sometimes the answer is no. And when is the answer no? When is the prohibited items so bad that it poisons the entire line of transactions that stems from them? The answers are idolatry and the seventh year. Why those things? And I think the answer is because those things, really unlike everything else on the list, are absolute core values to what Judaism and Jewishness is. So idolatry is an absolute rejection, not of some constituent element of Judaism, but it's a rejection of the entire premise upon which our worldview is based. Similar to the seventh year, the seventh year is an expression of God's not only existence, which is what idolatry is about, this leaving the field in the seventh year is an expression, as the as the Bible explicitly tells us, of acknowledging that not only does God exist, but he is involved directly in the history of our people and in the history of the entire world. And in fact, the land in which he has implanted us is not our land, it's his land, and we hallow it in his name. So accepting idolatry, rejecting the seventh year— is to dismiss the entire premise upon which our entire worldview operates. And when you're rejecting a core value, everything that stems from that 
has now been poisoned, has now been made toxic. Whereas, by contrast, everything else, mixing meat and milk together, cooking meat and milk together, that is bad. Don't get me wrong. I don't want to understate it. It's bad, and it's a violation of the Torah prohibition. But, uh, or, you know, consuming those things, deriving benefit from them. Those are bad things. But it is simply not a core value in the same philosophical sense that idolatry is. It is a very, very, very bad thing. But it is in some ways less of it, but rejecting it, even though that's very bad, is less of a threat to the entire system. Same thing for deriving benefit from a bull that needs to be killed, a shorhanitzkal. It's the same principle. It's very bad, but it's not a rejection of the entire premise. And so I think what the rabbis are teaching us here is a twofold principle, which is absolutely crucial, not only for how we live Jewishly, but it's a principle upon which the entire health of our society in which we currently live depends, which is that when a value or violation of a value threatens the whole system, it poses an extreme danger. But conversely, it's possible that things can be merely bad without threatening the entire system. And that's a huge challenge for us, let's say, in the U.S. today. So because we need to do two things, and there are two things we're, we're kind of missing, which is that on the one hand, as a society, we have in many ways lost track of our core values. And there has been a collective mass forgetting of the things that brought us here, whether those things be our founding documents, the Federalist Papers, the Declaration of Independence, the text of the Constitution. I mean, those are those are all important things. Or grappling with great texts that founders of this country and those who have made it wonderful have always grappled with, whether it be the Greek philosophical tradition, whether it be from the founders to Frederick Douglass to Martin Luther King Jr. and the great civil rights leaders, the Hebrew Bible. I mean, all of those texts are worth grappling with, and it's important to grapple with them because it's only through doing that that we can be alert to the danger when a core value is violated. And sometimes we can let the entire system crash, not because of any one particular inciting event specifically, but rather because we haven't been paying attention to the fundamentals, on the one hand. On the other hand, we've also lost the ability, I think probably as a symptom, right, because because we've forgotten what our core values are. So the, the overcompensation has been that we, and I use that term generally because it's true of all sides of our political divide, we tend to treat every bad thing as if it's a violation of a core value, and therefore, we turn every single disagreement into a matter of principle that requires a cherem, Bur- burning right? down that the requires house. excommunication and burning down the house. And it's so important for us to remember, things can just be bad without being absolutely essential and core. Like you're, It's okay to disagree with people, even very strongly, and not have that poison the entire society. So I'd say... The lesson here is that some things are avodazara and shviyas, some things are idolatry and the seventh year, and it's important to remember that some things are that important. At the same time, it's also crucial to recall that most things are not idolatry in the seventh year, and it's also important to acknowledge those. Baruch Hashem, Rabbi Dr. Ari Lam, thank you as ever for your wisdom and pop culture references. 
Rock and roll. This has been Take One. If you enjoy the show, and I hope that you do, then you're really going to love the book I wrote. It's called How the Talmud Can Change Your Life, Surprisingly Modern Advice from a Very Old Book. And it's coming out in just a few short weeks. You could pre-order it now at your local bookstores directly from the publisher through the link in this here podcast description or through that big online store whose logo is a smile. Once you've pre-ordered the book, take a picture of your receipt, just a snap on your phone would do, and follow the instructions at tabletm.ag slash pre-order. That's tabletmlikemary.ag slash pre-order. Then you will be invited to an exclusive star-studded virtual book launch event and get all sorts of other pleasant surprises. As always, please go and rate and review. Take one on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to podcasts. You could get your Take One t-shirts and mugs at tabletstudios.com and you could subscribe to our weekly newsletter at tabletm.ag slash take one newsletter. Take One is a Tablet Studios production. The show is hosted by me, Leah Leibowitz, and is produced and edited by Daron Rusquet, Quinn Waller, and Ellie Blyer. Our team also includes Stephanie Butnick, Josh Cross, Robert Scarmucci, Courtney Hazlett, and Tanya Singer. For more information, go to tabletmag.com slash takeone or email us at takeone at tabletmag.com. I hope we've made your day a little more Talmudic. <laughs>